Hello and welcome to Psychology in Seattle. I'm your host, Kirk Honda, licensed therapist. Three days ago on Friday, I was in a meeting at the university and I received an email from Cairo Radio asking me to appear on the radio later that night to talk about the shootings in Connecticut. And I thought to myself, what shootings in Connecticut? So I went on the internet and to my horror, I read about a man who had walked into an elementary school and killed a bunch of children. After my meetings, I went to my office and read up all I could on the topic so I could speak with some authority later that evening on the radio. As I was reading the details about the children and the teachers and the school psychologists and the principal and I thought about the children, and I, I just thought about them being hurt. Uh, I, I imagined what it would have been like for them, and I sobbed openly. There's something about the suffering of children that is particularly difficult to swallow. It is disturbing, it is horrifying, it is upsetting, and it's profoundly sad. Just profoundly sad. So... It was in that state that I prepared to be on the radio that evening. And as usual, I was quite nervous about being on the radio. My heart was pounding. My hands were sweating and shaking. I could barely think straight. But anyway, let's just go to that clip. This is the Andrew Walsh Show on Cairo Radio in Seattle. Newtown is a town that's grieving after a gunman walked into an elementary school and just started shooting. 20 kids are dead. Six adults are dead. The shooter himself is dead. He took his own life. Authorities are still trying to untangle the story to figure out exactly what happened. And the rest of us are trying to figure out how to deal with it, too. Yeah, um, and this does seem like one of those events that will change the country. I really think they, so. They all seem to. Columbine certainly mm-hmm. did. And that was back in 1999. And I think this one, because such little kids were involved and you even heard the president breaking up as he was talking about it. And I've not seen that before with this kind of thing. So I I think this is a different uh, era that we're entering into. People all across the country are going to be having conversations with their kids that they never wanted to have. Um, And they're going to be tough conversations. I think a lot of people don't know what to talk or how to approach this conversation with their kids. And we have somebody on the line who's going to help us out with that a little bit. It's uh, Kirk Honda. He's host of Psychology in Seattle podcast. He's faculty at Antioch University and a licensed therapist. You deal with families and children a lot. Uh, thanks for joining us, Kirk. Thanks for having me. You know, I should have asked you this before we were live on there. Do you have young kids yourself? Um, this is going to sound very rude, Andrew, but I don't answer questions about my personal life. It's one of those therapisty things that we do that, oh, that makes clients sense. are listening. I don't want them to think about my life when they are working with me. No, I, I totally understand. Um, but I'm afraid this interview is over. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> I would watch for anxiety symptoms. Children that are prone to anxiety might be particularly affected by something like this. Kids who have been traumatized might be particularly affected by this. The feeling of being threatened is very traumatizing for people. And if they personalize this event and think that they are in danger, they can develop anxiety symptoms. So I'd watch for that. What those might look like are they don't want to go to school. They might act like they're sick. They might want to listen to the radio a lot. And and that leads me to another piece of advice, and that is, is you want to protect children from the details of this story. It's traumatizing for me to listen to it, and for children it's particularly traumatizing. You don't want to leave the news on for them to see and hear about the details. Knowing about it at all is difficult, and then to know the details about it would be particularly difficult for people. And I recommend that 
for adults, too, that they should monitor how they're being affected by the news. You know, we were talking earlier that the Seattle superintendent set out some um, guidelines for parents on how to how to talk to their kids about it. And one of the curious bullet points that Linda pointed out earlier was use words or phrases that won't confuse a child or make the world more frightening. I think we both read that and said, well, how do you talk about this story without making the world more frightening? Now we're asking you that question. The single most important thing I would say to everyone, adults included, is that these events are extremely rare, and they're not on the increase. They're actually on the decrease. The common narrative in our society is that our country is going down the tubes and that people are killing people in schools more often, but it's actually happening less often when you look at the statistics. According to the CDC, in the past seven years, 116 students were killed at school in the U.S., 116 in the past seven years, and compare that to actually how many school-age children there are. So you have 116 in the past seven years. It's extremely rare, and the chance of your child dying is extremely rare, and the chance of your child dying at school is even more rare. Something like, I did a back-of-the-napkin estimate, something like your, your child in a given year is, has a 1 in 10 million chance of getting killed at school. I don't know how you put that into words that a child can understand, but um, reassuring them in that way could help. And reassuring yourself as parents could help. Yeah, that's true, too. I mean, parents now have to talk themselves out of being worried every time they drop off their kid at the bus stop. Right. However worried they were about that yesterday, they shouldn't be more worried today. Is, is the point, because it's extremely rare. It just, it just doesn't happen that often. The, the problem with our brains is we don't have the ability to calculate probabilities very well. We see these events in the news, and we instantly think, oh, that could happen to me. I, I, you know, if, you, if you polled people on the chances of their child being killed in school, they, you know, they might say, I don't know, like one in 100, one in 1,000 or something. And you know, I'm telling you, back of the napkin estimate, one in 10 million chance. It's extremely rare. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you so much for taking the time. I know a lot of people wanted to hear what you had to say tonight. Okay. Thanks for having me. <laughs> thanks, thanks for joining us. That's Kirk Hondes, host of Psychology in Seattle. That's a podcast called Psychology in Seattle. And he's faculty at Antioch University and a licensed therapist. You're listening to The Andrew Walsh Show on Cairo Radio and CairoRadio.com. All right. So there's the clip. The first thing I should mention is that I edited that past clip. I took out a lot of the ums from everyone and also a lot of the boring parts from me. Um, Half of what I said during that interview was not as relevant as the things I left in. So the second thing I want to talk about is is the question he asked in the very beginning when he asked me if I have children. And I responded by saying, I'm sorry, this is going to sound very rude, but I don't talk about my personal life because when I work with my clients, I don't want them to be thinking about me. I want them to be concentrating on them. And that might sound strange to some of you in podcast land because the podcast is a look behind the scenes to some extent, but I actually often think about what I reveal about myself on this podcast. It's something I give a lot of thought to, and sometimes I will accidentally say something about my personal life and I'll edit it out. Although this podcast does reveal things about me personally to some extent, like I have cats, I work at the university, I I have a cousin Mandy and a friend Umberto, and they are who they are, so that says something about me. So those are disclosures to my clients if they happen to be listening to this podcast. So there is some risk there, ethically and clinically. And I give that a lot of thought, and I do consult with people about that. 
There are times when I really want to talk about my personal life and I want to talk about my personal opinions or my political views. And I don't because I don't want to compromise my work with my clients. So just getting to the clip in general, as I said, I cut a lot out because I I was meandering a lot. I think I was too nervous or too unprepared or something. So then the next day I received another email from a different radio host asking me to come on his show to talk about the shooting in Connecticut. And this is the Terry and Rance show on Cairo radio here in Seattle. Jason and Tebby from that show asked me to come on to talk about the event. So let's just go to that clip. Cairo radio. This is Terry and Rance on the all new Cairo radio weekends. We can all sit here and discuss the uh, what would make somebody do such a crazy thing that we're talking about. We could talk about the gun laws. We could talk about the Second Amendment. We could talk about everything. But the bottom line is there's 20 children, six adults killed, murdered right now. And I've got to understand, and I'm not a parent and neither are you, Jason, that this has to be the parent's worst nightmare. You send your child off to school. I mean, the whole thing, packing the lunch, just thinking it's going to be an ordinary day. And some crazy guy just comes in there. It's And, and not knowing what's happening to your children. Then above all, how do you explain to your children? what? Exactly. There are a lot of parents who understandably want to sort of shield their child away from hearing news about this. But that's not always the case. And at some point, your child is going to hear about it. Uh, and they're going to ask questions. And I definitely don't know how I would be able to handle that question. So we ask uh, Kirk Honda to come on the show. He's the host of the Psychology in Seattle podcast. He's faculty at Antioch University, and he's a licensed therapist. Kirk, thanks for coming on with us today. Thanks for having me. Uh, Clearly, this is a tragic event in which parents are especially scared to send their kids off to a school where obviously no one knows that this is going to happen. These are something that this is an event that just happens. There's no warning most of the time. And so first, how do these parents cope with just that, the, the understanding that stuff happens, and sometimes it's really tragic? Yeah, it's such a horrible event to have occurred. Um, When I heard about it yesterday and I thought about the helpless children being hurt, I sobbed openly. It was just, uh, it's so horrible when children suffer. And to think about all the children that survived in the school and their suffering and the children across the states who are who might be afraid of this. It's it's just, it's heart-wrenching. So my advice is to parents, what I think would be helpful is for them to take care of themselves first. If they're going to be effective parents, if they're going to be attuned to their child's needs, they have to take care of themselves first. So the first thing is, is to honor their own feelings about this, is to know how they feel about it and to talk with others about it, other adults about it, and to express their feelings and to talk about how scared they are. And you're right. I think, you know, putting it into pers- uh, a parent's perspective right now, that is uh, that is an interesting way to look at it and to admit, hey, wait a minute, I may be out of my league on this one. Yeah, it's a helpless feeling. I, I don't know what the parents of those children could have done to have prevented this. I know there's a lot of talk about what to do about it, and and I guess those conversations are good, but for parents that hear this story, I imagine they feel completely helpless. You guys might know more about this, but as far as I can tell, the school did a lot to have security for for the children. And uh, the, the teachers reacted according to their training. And this still happened. And so I imagine parents are feeling completely helpless. And that, that's very, very scary. Parents are programmed to protect their children. 
and I imagine that parents are, are very afraid. So other things to do for parents is to take a break from thinking about this sort of stuff. If it becomes overwhelming, that can lead to bad things psychologically. And so sometimes you just have to take a break from it. I, I know some people who, as a way of trying to cope with this, will focus on it for days and days and days because they're trying to find a solution. They're trying to find an answer, and there might not be an answer. Do you, tell, do you tell your kids you don't have an answer? Because they're going to ask questions. They all, they're they're going to hear all kinds of stuff from you and also from their friends, and a lot of it's going to be misinformation. Right. So how do you talk with your children about this? Mm-hmm. First thing is to take care of yourself. And, and then when you talk to your children, when you come from a place of calm or relative calm, is to just listen to them. Be attuned to their feelings. There's no logical answer. There's not a lot to say to comfort children. But if you can listen to their fears and can, you can be attuned to their needs and you can make them feel secure in their relationship with you, which, which helps children. Well, should, I mean, should you lie in the sense that, say, you're safe, there's nothing going to happen to you, you're always going to be safe? Should you make that sort of claim when you're talking to a younger child? Um, it's hard to know what exactly to say to children because every child is different. I, I guess I wouldn't go that far because they'd be easily discredited and then they might not believe anything you have to say. Mm-hmm. But perspective is, is part of it. It's extremely rare for children to die, one. Two, of those children that die, it's extremely rare for them to have been murdered as a cause of that death. And then it's even more rare for children to have been killed at school. In the past seven years, there, according to the CDC before yesterday, there were 116 children that had been killed in school in the last seven years. 116 children. Now, those are tragic deaths, and those are horrible. But when you compare that to the numbers of children who die in accidents related to alcohol or cancer, it's a very small percentage of those deaths. But the overall thing is that death of children is, is, is a very rare event. Kirk, we have less than a minute left. Can you briefly tell me, we, we all know that a normal reaction is to be a little scared, feel a little helpless. What's the abnormal reaction that we should be looking at when we're talking to kids about this? What is something that's a sign that there needs to be some additional uh, counseling, perhaps? Yeah, that's a good question. Again, it's hard to generalize because every child is different. The short answer is parents know their children, and so they know when their child is in distress, when there's a change. They, their own intuition, their own knowledge of that ch- child comes into play. But in general, things might be anxiety or phobias if they don't want to go to school, if, if they're expressing a lot of fear, if they're ruminating on the event a lot, if they seem to be talking about it a lot, or they seem to be worried about being murdered, uh, social withdrawal, change in their behavior or their emotional expression, those sorts of things. Got it. Kirk Honda is the host of a Psychology in Seattle podcast. He's faculty at Antioch University. He's a licensed therapist. I appreciate you uh, coming on with us today. Thank you, Kirk. Thanks for having me. Thank you. All right, so there's the second radio clip. I'm, I'm trying to think if there's anything I didn't talk about that I wanted to talk about in those clips. Let me think. I just want to reiterate that these events are extremely rare and they're on the decline. That, that doesn't mean we shouldn't do something about it. We definitely should do something about it. We should look at how we are helping those that are isolating. We should be looking at how we're helping parents, particularly how we're helping parents with difficult children. We should be looking at gun laws. We should be looking at school safety. We should definitely, definitely be looking at those things. But if we're truly concerned about child safety, there might be other areas in which many, many more children are being hurt in which we can allocate resources and our attention to. Every day, children are being abused sexually, physically. They're being neglected. 
uh, everyday children are dying in car accidents, uh, particularly related to alcohol. These things are preventable deaths. And if we want to allocate funds to those, we might see a a greater reduction in the overall numbers of children who die from preventable deaths. But I just want to reiterate that we definitely can learn a lot of lessons from the event in Connecticut, and we should look at it very closely. Let's see, what else did I want to talk about? Um, Oh, Mary Sherlock was a school psychologist at Sandy Hook Elementary, and she had worked there for 18 years. And I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing her name right. She was killed during this event. Uh, She was a 56-year-old school psychologist. And again, she she worked there for 18 years. I I find that I can identify with her. I I wonder what was going through her mind. I've read reports that she was trying to stop the killer and may have died as a result of that. It's not often that someone in the field dies in the line of duty, and I hope that we can memorialize her appropriately. Another thing I want to mention is that some of the things I'm reading on the internet suggest that the killer's mental illness may have been a factor in the motivation to murder. But there's no clear association between autism spectrum and the risk of violence. I'm worried that autism spectrum will become associated with murder and people will become afraid of people with autism spectrum. This often happens in the wake of these events. People are looking for answers and they will blame it on a mental illness or a a mental condition. And so I just want to set the record straight. And I guess in conclusion, I want to tell you my process of trying to figure out how to predict these sorts of behavior in people. I'm not an expert in this area, but I have read some literature in this area looking for answers as to why Adam Lanza decided that day to kill those people. What separates him from the other people that are like him? And I'll tell you, I have not found an answer to that question. It would be wonderful if we had an answer to that question, but it doesn't seem like there's a lot of commonalities between the people that do this sort of thing. They're often male, So that narrows it down to half of the population. But beyond that, it's difficult to figure out. People often say, oh, well, they're they're often social outcasts. But according to the research, that seems to be a a factor. But there are many people who'd kill in schools or, or, you know, commit mass murders like this who were not social outcasts. Bullying comes up a lot. The common narrative is that these people are bullied. But according to the CDC, 20% were known to have been victims of bullying. According to the CDC, 12% of the students who committed a school-associated homicide were known to have expressed suicidal thoughts or behavior. But that number isn't that different from the general population. The CDC does point out that nearly 50% of homicide perpetrators gave some type of warning signal such as making a threat or leaving a note prior to the event. I think that's interesting. So again, that's a reason for us to have more mental health services in place, more support for parents, so that we can prevent these things from happening. But 50% of the students who committed school-associated homicide did not have a warning signal, such as making a threat or leaving a note prior to the event. It's very difficult to figure out who is going to do this sort of thing. If we're going to put effort into something, it's putting funds 
and effort into helping parents with children that are difficult. I, as a family therapist, I, I've worked with many, many parents who have kids who are very difficult to work with uh, in various different ways. And they're alone and they're often blamed by society. Their friends and family and school teachers and administrators will blame the parents for the behavior of the child. And sometimes the, the parents are partially to blame and maybe they're wholly to blame. But a lot of the parents that I've talked to, according to my estimation, are not seemingly to blame for the child's behavior. And I've seen when these parents are provided the support that they need, then the child's behavior gets better. When the parents have family and friends and therapists and other professionals that are there supporting them, I see the child's behavior does improve. So if we're going to put effort into something, let's put effort into that. And we are putting effort into that. We do have social services available for families, but they're underfunded in my opinion. And and we should look at that, I think. All right. So this has been a tough episode, honestly, for me to record. It's, It's hard to know what to say. Again, overall, it's a sad event Innocent children died, the innocent adults died, and it's senseless. There will be a lot of political ramifications and a lot of arguing and people getting angry. I've been seeing lots of people posting angry things on Facebook, and I, I, I just have to say something tragic happened. It's normal to get upset, but I don't think we should be turning on each other. This is a time for us to come together. It's a time for us to think about our own children and to think about our own lives and to realize that life is precious and that our time on this planet is limited. And for us to question, what are we going to do with the time that we have? What are we going to do with the people that are near us, that are alive right now? How are we going to love our children? How are we going to love those in need? At least that's what I take away from it. All right, that does it for another episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining me, and please take care of yourself.